Hello and welcome to the Friday, May 15th, 2020, Living with COVID-19 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, uh, King exonerated my how the campaigns have changed and the Senate race gets more negative. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayward of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. And Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Isle Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, exoneration. One thing we know for sure is that U.S. Representative Steve King knows how to stir the pot. And he did it again this week in a GOP debate in Northwest Iowa. King said he had reached a deal with House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy that would allow him to regain the committee assignments that McCarthy stripped from him more than a year ago after King was quoted, misquoted, he says, uh, wondering in the New York Times, quote, white nationalists, white supremacists, Western civilization, how did that language become offensive? So, Brett, I guess that was received as good news by his former primary opponents who immediately dropped their challenges to his nomination for a tenth term. <laughs> That's exactly what happened, yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> What, what, what was King doing? Did he just make this up? Did he think that Brett Hayworth wouldn't ask GOP leadership about this exoneration? Yeah. So it, it came up. Um, so how this played out, it came out as the they had a 90 minute debate on uh, Monday of all five candidates up in Spencer, Iowa. And they got to the closing comments where everybody can, in fact, they had about 60 to 90 seconds to say what they wanted. And King was the first one to speak. And that's where this came out. He, he uh, mentioned this in his closing remarks and it was, it was actually said in a sort of, oh, by the way, sort of <laughs> mentality because uh, phrasing, I'm sorry, not mentality, phrasing. And this, he said this had happened about uh, three weeks ago in, in late April that this had actually been set up with McCarthy. So it was, it was very surprising. And um, yeah, so then uh, I was working that on Tuesday and of course tried to, to reach out to McCarthy and, and could not get anything from him at, at that date. But yeah, it was just kind of a bolt from the blue and, um, um, you know, just <laughs> took on a life of its own. Obviously this was a big topic for the middle of this week here in Iowa for politics. Did the other candidates in, in that race, I mean, did they respond to it or? Were no, they so he, like- King, King was the first um, of the five to speak in the concluding remarks and um, none of the four then, you know, said anything. They kind of did their boilerplate summer, summation for what they did. But, it, you know, by the next day, then then there was some some reaction from from the candidates. Um, Jeremy Taylor, uh, who's a former legislator from Sioux City here, he had he was a little tepid, but his he had a statement out that said he um, what, that there needed to be some clarity on it. Um, but then Randy Feenstra uh, spoke with his campaign, uh, one of his campaign uh, manager, and um, he was more, you know, much more direct and used the word lying for for what King had done. That you know, King was just was fabricating it. So um, much more stronger response from, from Feenstra's camp. And, and Brett, we have gotten some clarity since then from uh, from McCarthy himself, I guess, and from other GOP House leaders. Right, right. Steve Stivers was um, 
is on, so the, the entity that King had mentioned, it's called the Republican Steering Committee. And um, what King said was that McCarthy and that McCarthy said that uh, King could, ha- could um, you know, have his, I guess, day in now, you know, <laughs> roughly day, his day in you know, speak to them and that they could, could weigh in and, and presumably re- uh, put him back on the committees. And um, um, Stivers uh, had a, got a statement to us the following day that said, uh, no way. I'm sorry, Stivers, who's a Republican from Ohio, who's on that steering committee, said, no way, we're not putting Steve King back on. And then later, I think it was a national reporter later in the day, um, McCarthy um, said that, um, you know, there could be, you know, he could go before the committee, but it certainly wasn't a done deal, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Todd, uh, we've grown accustomed to King making outrageous comments, and I suppose in a selfish, cynical way, we welcome those outbursts. Um, gives us something to talk about. But if King had said he'd be exonerated after the election, uh, would it have been more believable um, and maybe harder to question? But it doesn't seem like there's any walking this back for him. Where does he go from here? Well, no, yeah, there's there's no walking it back. Uh, I think he was engaging maybe at the best, the best argument may be that he was engaging in wishful thinking and just... <laughs> You know, just sort of didn't didn't consider that someone might actually call him out on it. Uh, but you know, from here he's he's just he's got to try to you know run his campaign. Which I don't know. I mean, with fundraising the way it's been, he's been out fundraise. It seems like his maybe Randy Feenstrom's Feenstrom's got some late momentum and is you know he seems like a challenger that's got a chance to. To win, but with a you know a multi-way race like this, it's it's always hard to tell. Uh, but I yeah I, I don't know that his you know some of his folks that are his true believers, his strong supporters, they think it was unfair and 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 not you know correct for him to lose his committee assignments in the first place, and they blame sort of the Washington establishment and their politically correct squeamishness, I guess, for for not allowing him to do to have committees, and so this may not have any bearing on those folks. There's there's they've stuck with him through all of this stuff and more and and maybe his base of support will will hold and and that that could be enough if you know depending on what turnout looks like. It sounds like by most uh estimates I've seen and read there have been a lot of a lot of absentee ballots being requested. So uh it, it'll be interesting. But I yeah, like I say for his for his core supporters, I don't know that this makes a whole lot of difference but because his his persecution was was wrong from the from the start. So, so Brett, let's come back to you. And, and like Todd was saying, it's hard to know um, whether King's core constituency will just stick with him on this, or or if they're looking for to make a change. But where does this race stand? Uh, Senator State Senator Randy Feenster seems to be leading in the fundraising and endorsements, and polling that's been done uh, suggested it's two person race between. Uh, Feenstra and King, can can he beat Representative King? Yeah, well, one thing I, I heard um, in the last few days from a couple, and this was from Republicans, was that you know this shows King saying that shows perhaps some bit of desperation or you know the realization that he's in a really tight race. Um, as, as far as polling, <clears throat> there was a poll a couple of weeks ago that showed King with about a ten percent 
lead. And then there was a new poll this week uh, by a group that is not a fan of King that showed uh, Feenster was within like three or 4%, which is basically the margin of error. So, yeah, I mean, it certainly appears to be a two, two person race and, and uh, you know, Feenster has all the money. He is, there's all, he's constantly on, on Sioux city TV here um, with, and he's made a, that media purchase. And I think that's been going since either late mid or late uh, March. So he's had a, nearly two months of that and, you know, another, I guess, three weeks till the, two and a half weeks till the primary. Um, yeah. I, I mean, King is probably relying on, and, and King has such, so very low uh, cash on hand. I think he had less than $50,000, 35, 40,000, something in that vicinity at the end of the last quarter. And, you know, there's no presence that I've seen you know, in any media buys that's out there, no radio, no TV, no, no mailings I've even seen. So I think King is relying on his, you know, you know who I am. I've served you well. I fit. I fit the district, and I guess that's where, where you know his eggs are in that basket. In a, in a time that there really is no in-person campaigning. Well, it's certainly going to be an interesting race to watch in the next couple of weeks, and and see how that turns out, and and you know what the outcome of that race uh, means for the general election with uh, JD Scholten running again and and running such a strong campaign two years ago, and seems to be putting together a, another strong campaign. Um, right. I'm sure we'll be talking about this again. We'll also be talking about how the COVID-19 is changing campaigning in general. And Amy, you uh, took a look at an Iowa House race in Blackhawk County to, to see how that's changed the campaign there. It sounds like everyone, uh, whether uh, an incumbent or a challenger, is learning as they go. What sort of adjustments have they had to make? Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I wanted to know that myself. So I, I went and I talked to um, Dave Williams, who is the current representative for District 60, Iowa House District 60, which covers um, parts of Waterloo, parts of Cedar Falls, Hudson, and parts of rural Blackhawk County. So a good cross-section of sort of the Cedar Valley. Um, and, and he's obviously run before, so he sort of knows what's changed. But his two uh, Republican challengers who are, are sort of, you know, having to figure this out, um, having not even done this before, you know, you can get a good sense of what you're supposed to do. You know, you're supposed to hire volunteers. You're supposed to, you know, put out mailers. You're supposed to knock on doors and they really can't do a whole lot of that now. So they're basically just sort of confined to phone calls. Um, some of them are, are trying virtual town halls, you know, Facebook lives to sort of get in front of voters. Um, but that's tough too, because you're sort of relying on people giving you a chance and, and taking some time out of their, already busy Zoom schedules to basically give you that shot. And so it, it's sort of interesting, you know, it, all, all three of them were like, I love door knocking. I wish I could be in front of voters. I wish I could be talking to them. Like Dave was saying, I wish I could be seeing their body language. That tells me so much more than just what they're telling me straight. And, you know, so it's really an odd time. And I think, you know, you put your money where you think it's going to work. Maybe that's Facebook ad buys. Maybe that's, you know, mailers, you know, but I think especially on the Republican side, um, they're really buttressed by uh, a good portion of older folks that um, actually go to the polls, which is very tough to do these days. I mean, uh, the Blackhawk County Courthouse is, is still closed. You know, they they will let voters in, but it, it's a tougher process. And, and a lot of people are going the absentee ballot route. But if you don't get it in time, maybe you don't know how that system works. That could really, you know, 
keep out a lot of voters that would otherwise have have been on your side. So I think it's sort of really untested, unprecedented, like everything else in the age of coronavirus. And it'll be really interesting to see how it shakes out if it does shake out in in Williams favor because he's the incumbent or if, you know, somebody else can step up and, and make a big splash. I think the the absentee voting numbers, the request, the number of ballots requested, it has already exceeded the number of people who voted two years ago, if I remember right. So it, isn't that crazy? I think there's a, yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how many people return those ballots. What turn turnout actually turn turns out to be? How about that, uh, Aaron? Um, we've seen campaigns quickly pivot to virtual town halls and virtual forums, and we've had a couple of debates in the Democratic U.S. Senate primary. Um, there's a couple coming up that will be um, in-studio debates without live audiences. Uh, Amy was talking about how, you know, you can't read body language uh, as well via Zoom or Skype as you can in person. Can candidates get voters' attention and win them over um, on the, you know, on the little screen? <laughs> Yeah, it might it might be a little bit harder, but but I think there's still an opportunity there, and, and especially when we're talking about primary elections, um, you're talking about the people who are the most tuned in to uh, politics and to campaigns, and so those a good percentage of your primary voters are are probably making the effort to to catch, try and catch some of these events, especially the debates. Um, so, so there's an opportunity. You raise a really good point. It, it, it's very interesting that you, you talk about the, the visuals and, and body language and tone and, and how different that's going to be um, um, when you're watching, especially through those virtual forums. Now, the, the debate will look a little more familiar and uh, similar to past events, uh, other than there won't be an audience in the crowd, which uh, I'm actually silently applauding. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, and, and look, I mean, the, the, it's the way of the world right now anyway. So that that's that's their best chance. Um, that's how they're going to have to do it. Um, and I'm sure the campaigns are thinking about that uh, and, and thinking about ways they can reach people and get their message across in effective ways through these new mediums. Um, so uh, it, it, it all comes back to what uh, Christinia said. It's, a, it's an, we're all in uncharted waters here and, and we're all kind of watching this, especially from our perspective as reporters, we're all watching this with interest just to see how this plays out. Cause uh, we really don't have much of a better idea than anybody else does. So um, it, it's going to be interesting. One of the things that with being called Christinia, it's fine. Oh, sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you. Sorry, Amy. You've been oh very good reporter. Yes, we we, we, we can edit that in post, right? We can't <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Oh, and I'm gonna put myself on mute now for the rest of the. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that I heard early on as people were making the change to virtual forums and town halls and stuff is that the uh, campaign people said this was sort of an advantage because voters could watch these things at their convenience. But I was talking to a campaign manager this week, and he said that he's worried that people have just maxed out 
uh, on virtual town halls and virtual campaign events. And that the thought of plugging in the earbuds and sitting down in front of the your laptop or tablet screen to hear from Canada ha has lost its appeal and that he, he's not sure that people are paying attention anymore. And, and I want to toss this out to anybody who has kids in their house. If you're providing daycare, you're teaching school and holding down a job uh, and trying to stay abreast of the latest news, you need to stay safe in a pandemic. How much time are you willing to devote to what is basically long form political commercial? <laughs> I'll, I'll start real quick because I, this actually came up in, in my house. Um, I, it got to a point, and this has been a week or two uh, ago now, it's been a little while, but I got to a point where I had to beg my wife to not have the um, president's daily briefings on <laughs> when I would come downstairs getting off from work. And I mean, part of that was because of the total circus they tend to turn into that. But part of that was, and, and it's a really interesting point that, that your, your, um, your source was made, James, is... I just got, I was overwhelmed by it. When I was done with work, I wanted to be done with work. I didn't want to sit down right. in my living room and watch another hour of it. So that's a really interesting point. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's there's always a contest for people's time, whether it's in person or uh, on you know a Zoom meeting or whatever. But I guess I, I mean. I spend so much time in those Zoom meetings now that the idea of spending sort of free time in a Zoom meeting doesn't have a whole lot of appeal. Um, and and I, I think that's, you know, people probably have had enough, um, you know, uh, of that before they get to a virtual town hall or an, another debate or something like that. So, yeah, I think it seems like it's going to be challenging here in the next couple of weeks to get people's attention and get them to listen. Um, but perhaps we're not the demo too. I mean, a lot of the people that went to in-person town halls were, you know, not necessarily our age. They were, they skewed out older. They were the retired folks. I think if you can make it easy for these folks to get online and whatever method you're doing it, maybe those folks still show up. Uh, of course, we keep hearing that those folks aren't computer illiterate. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's that too. I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, we've been hearing, and I'm sure everybody is hearing the same thing from older people that they're not participating in test Iowa because they don't have computers. Um, you know, so if, if they don't have a computer to participate in test Iowa, uh, for that assessment, they're probably not, you know, watching, uh, candidate events either, but, um, well, thank you. My, my input on this is what I heard of that last little bit is Amy said that we who are taping this podcast are not old. And I very selfishly thank you for that. Amy. No, <laughs> 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 uh, we're, we're not old. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, moving to the, the democratic U S Senate primary, um, if people have had their fill of virtual reality politics, uh, what does an underdog have to do um, to get attention? Uh, do they have to go negative, uh, as Eddie Morrow has uh, done this week with uh, new ads um, and uh, a poll? He's gone after Teresa Greenfield for defaulting on loans and laying off employees at, at a business she was previously associated with. He didn't mention that she lost her job, too. Um, and uh, he also 
says that she evicted small businesses from the Des Moines Mall to make way for an Uber Global German grocery store, um, which never opened. In a recent poll, he asked whether the fact that her campaign manager two years ago was charged with felony election misconduct gives voters doubts about her and whether Michael Franken having a million dollar home in Virginia gives voters doubt about his viability as a general election candidate. Todd, um, is all fair in love and politics? Um, I mean, it seems that in times of war, the rules change and some people, President Donald Trump for one, uh, likes to talk about how we're at war with coronavirus. Does going negative work in wartime? Well, it has gotten Eddie Morrow some attention, which was <laughs> something he hadn't had for much of this campaign. So I suppose by that token, it works. Uh, he's he's gotten his name in the news stories, uh, along with Teresa Greenfield and and Mike Franking, which would be candidates you would presume are doing a little better than he is. Uh, but you know, I, I mean, of, of course, the what you know, the fear for Democrats is that Eddie Morrow isn't isn't going to be the the nominee. So the taxis leveling at the other two candidates are going to just be basically picked up and dusted off by Joni Ernst's campaign and, and used against whoever the nominee is, whether it's, it, I mean, Greenfield seems to be the favorite. Franken has gotten some interesting attention. I've noticed a kind of a, a lot of the, and this is no scientific measurement whatsoever, but it's most of the letters to the editor we've been getting on the opinion page in this campaign have been pro Franken letters, which I think maybe they're encouraging people to write. Maybe, you know, maybe it's that people are interested. I don't know. We haven't seen nearly as many letters from other supporters of other candidates. So, uh, you know, it, like I say, it got, it got Eddie some attention. I don't know in the in big scheme of things, whether it, it pulls him into the race or maybe it, it could possibly repel some voters that, you know, don't like the, the, the interfamily, interfamily squabbling. Yeah, Amy, um, when you talk to the candidates there in Blackout County, um, did you get any sense of whether they're maybe sort of holding back any criticism of each other? Um, there, I've heard a lot of um, folks talking about, you know, we need to play nice. We, you know, sort of um, keeping things positive. And so I'm just wondering if if that if you're seeing that in the legislative race, if, if people are kind of holding back on their criticism. I don't know if they are. I think it, it's just tough to get a message out there in general. And so I think, you know, particularly for the ones that haven't run before, um, just getting their name out there is, is generally what people have been, you know, really trying to do that name recognition, they hope will then carry people into the polls. But I, I don't necessarily think it means that people aren't going negative. I think, in fact, you know, what you see with um, everyone from Trump to Morrow to, to, you know, all these other races is showing that the negative campaigning is really cutting through all the chaff and, and maybe that will spur more negative attacks. So as we get into the later weeks of May and, and early June before the primary, but yeah, right now it's, it's, it seems like as much as it isn't, it's business as usual. You know, it, it's kind of just people trying to get their name out there trying to get their issues out there, trying to say they're the one true conservative or the one true liberal, you know, trying to just keep hammering that message. But I think maybe after June, if you're really starting to see other negative campaigning ramp up, I think you really will start seeing, you know, people going more negative just to get their name out there. And and like 
Aaron said, it's a time of war, you know, and if we are in a time of war, everything's on the table. Yep. Well, certainly the president doesn't seem to be holding back in his uh, campaign commercials. Yeah, damn. <laughs> uh, Brett, uh, in the fourth district uh, GOP contest, uh, are they following Reagan's 11th commandment to speak no evil of your fellow Republicans or, or are they willing to get muddy to get a win? Uh, well, <clears throat> uh, going back to, again to the one of the most recent indicators would be the the Monday um, the, can, the candidates forum up in Spencer and, and in his concluding remarks, what Steve King apparently this is where all the news was made it was during King's concluding remarks. Yeah, he, uh, he started off by blasting Feenster as a rhino, a Republican in name only, and he gave several examples of how that was so. And so again, that maybe goes toward the toward a, a viewpoint that that King is is nervous and knows that he's in a race. But he, he called him a rhino, and and um, you know that's a that's a big turn. When you think back to how King back, especially back when he was serving in the fifth district uh, in the previous ten years in the two thousands um, when there were still five districts, um, you know he wouldn't even mention his Democratic opponent by name. Um, you know, he just, just basically ignored them as if they didn't even exist but you know here he's here he's in this forum and, and he blasts Feenster who's you know sitting there as, as a rhino and you know the other the other three uh Randy I'm sorry um Jeremy Taylor um and the other two people in the race that they have you know they've played nice I guess according to, to the 11th commandment and you know they haven't gotten muddy in that way um but and Feenstra's doesn't do a lot of directly of, of King, but you know, all of his ads are about um, being able to to serve people. And you know, and the and the undertone is that you know King doesn't have committees and he hasn't served well. He doesn't do a lot of blasting of of King directly, but you know, I think in these last few weeks, it's you know, it's it's definitely stepped up a notch for sure. Okay, all right, Aaron. Uh, in the case of the U.S. Senate primary. There's some speculation that Eddie Morrow is trying to keep Greenfield under 35% and send this to a convention. Um, I, I don't know exactly what the strategy is there, but does going negative now help him if it goes to a convention? Well, well, at the very least, I think it informs us and tells us that uh, Eddie Morrow's internal polling does not show him leading. Uh, we can probably deduce that much uh, because... Uh, these are the kinds of things, tactics that, uh, as you said, underdogs or candidates who are trailing in the race use. Um, you know, the the convention route, anytime you have um, a somewhat um, bigger primary field and we got four candidates in this race, that's something that can come into uh, play or come into the strategy. Um, is that a threat? Is that a possibility in this race? Um, again, as we've talked about on the podcast before, we don't have any public polling on this. Um, the, the best we've been able to do is, uh, read the tea leaves. Um, and, and as best we've been able to do that, it doesn't seem like a, a race that's headed for a convention, but I suppose if you've got polling or data that shows that that's a possibility and it's a, and you have a better chance of that, then than you do winning it outright, um, then then maybe that is a strategy to try and um, you know put a few dents in someone else's image and 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 um, and and try to keep them under thirty five percent and take it to the convention. Um, 
Yeah, I think Whether it's interesting. That's a strategy that's going to work or not, I know that's a whole other thing. Yeah, it's interesting in Morrow's situation that the polling results he released show that he's tied with Joni Ernst in a general election right. contest. He didn't uh, release any data on the primary contest, the, the first step in this <laughs> process. So, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. probably a, a safe bet, like you say, that he, he's not leading in the primary race. Uh if he does win or if it does go to a convention, we'll talk about it on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. But that's it for this week. I hope it was worth your time. If you like it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. Send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. And you can find us every week on the homepages of the Quad City Times, the Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Dead Larry will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Brett, Amy, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. Today is going to be the greatest. It's going to be the bestest damn day I ever had. Today I climbed the top of a mountain, laid in a hot spring fountain. And laid my fears to rest But if you want to go, go home Don't let me stop you If you want to tell me something Turn off the lights and close the door If you want to go, go home Don't let me stop you If you want to tell me something Last night that I was done for And now I'm laying on the floor And I found another friend And tonight I can think of nothing better Than laying here together Together till the end Maybe I will disappear, and maybe you will too.